All right, the Fundamentals of Winning podcast. Today we are talking about the yips, and I've got my man, Michael McHenry. Michael McHenry, if you don't know from the previous podcast or just don't know who he is, Michael is a former Major League Baseball player uh, in college. We went to the same college at Middle Tennessee State. He was an All-American a uh, high round draft pick went on to have a very successful career in Major League Baseball. Now does a host of things from his new app called Tail Tracks, and also a broadcaster for the Pittsburgh Pirates. So, Michael, thank you for coming back on. This is the third part of a third part series, and uh, thanks for coming on. How are things going up there in Pittsburgh? I uh, appreciate you having me. Everything's going good. It's really, really cold. And yeah, like you said, this is the trifecta. I'm really excited about this one. It's going to be a lot of fun. And anytime me and you can get together, we seem to have a good time. I agree. So my background, if you don't know who I am listening for the first time, I was a former college baseball player. I was a pretty good player and came into my senior year and got the yips, or what is uh, officially known as performance anxiety. But I recovered... um, in life anyways, to become a Navy SEAL. I went on to become a sniper and a team leader and started a team building company called Stonewall Solutions. Now, during that time, I've also, as an offshoot service, have been helping people recover from the yips, and it's time to put some of this out there publicly to help others. And uh, Michael also has a tremendous amount of experience with the yips. So what we want to do first is talk about what the yips is, then we're going to talk about what causes the yips, and then some various methods of how to recover from it. And these methods are going to be a lot different than you're going to hear from mainstream sports psychology, because I think that the yips is often very misunderstood to include the official title for it called performance anxiety. I believe that anxiety, or at least the rational part of the anxiety, is a byproduct of getting the yips. Would you agree with me on that, Michael, or, or what would you add to that? I would completely agree. And I would also say you have to look at the empathy uh, of a person or the emotion of the person or the personality of the person, because most of the people that end up getting yips, just like you did, and just like some of my friends have, it usually comes from caring a little too much. They don't have that. I don't care at all attitude. They don't have that. I'm all about me attitude. It's usually because they care a little bit too much. Maybe it's for a coach, maybe it's for a player, maybe it's for the team. Maybe they're actually playing to try to uh, make sure their livelihood's okay. So I I think it it has to do with anxiety and I think it has to do with just caring a little too much. Yeah, I agree. And with that, I would say that's consistent with what I've seen uh, from the players. As I travel around the country, you know, I work, I get to see a lot of coaches and a lot of teams and just about everyone uh, well, I'd say everyone, but a lot of people come up and tell me, you know, off to the side, hey, I've got a guy that's struggling with, so, or a player will come up to me. And it's kind of like, you know, the first problem with this is it's kind of like, I, I, I promise this is the only time I'll ever bring up Harry Potter on my podcast, but it's kind of like, Vol- <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like Voldemort, like nobody's allowed to say its name, you know, we're not allowed to talk about it. You don't have the yips, oh, okay. you know, and I think that because we make it, such a taboo subject that it makes it even worse when players get it. What do you think about that? I completely agree. I think it's it's almost like an ism, like alcoholism. You know, it, 
it's something that the player needs to address. They need to say it for themselves. And so they say it and someone listens and just keeps their mouth shut. A lot of times it's just going to linger around or it's going to come back because it is that giant elephant in the room. It feels like, you know, if you don't talk about it, if they're not allowed to talk about it, or if you try to meet head through it, it just doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. It's no, because that's exactly what I did. I literally took a bucket of balls and a good friend named Tim Cronk. Do you know Tim? Oh, I know Tim. Great guy. Yes. And he went, when I, the first time I didn't travel on college baseball ever in my career, I think, and it was my senior year, <laughs> I, uh, I took a bucket of baseballs and we threw for about six hours straight. I didn't care if my arm snapped. I was just like, dude, I'm just going to push through this. And I even did that in a game, which we'll get into later. Um, but it doesn't work. It, it snowballs the wrong way. And it's funny that it's so taboo because it's, it's everywhere, man, and at every level, high school, college, pros, it's in different sports, and it's a thing. So what I want to talk about next is and, – and first, though, the alcoholism, I love it because that's one of the first things I tell people is, hey, man, if you're going to recover from this, the first thing is to admit that you have it. So if you're going to re- recover from being an alcoholic, you've got to admit – you're an you know you're an alcoholic. So, um, but with that, there are bad. We make bad throws in baseball. So we're going to talk about baseball. But I know there's there's probably golfers, volleyball players uh, with uh, setting. Get this. So let's talk about um, baseball. There's bad throws, and I believe there's a few different things that cause us to make a bad throw or an errant throw. And one is mechanical, bad mechanics, or misjudgment. Including on that would be an example of, say, the pitcher gets a ground ball, goes to turn a double play, and his foot hits the front of the mound, so his release point is a little bit off, It's according to normal, and it sails into center field. Those are mechanical, misjudgment, um, environmental influence things that cause us to throw the ball wrong but it does, or, or errant, but it doesn't, it's not a yipped throw. The second thing is rational anxiety. I am nervous because there's a lot of people in the crowd. I am nervous because there's a scout in the crowd. That's rational anxiety, That's but that's different from what I call subconscious anxiety. I'm not a psychologist um, or, or a yipped throw. So I think there's three things. There's rational anxiety, there's mechanical misjudgments and mechanical errors, and then there's this subconscious problem that causes involuntary tension, and that's what the yips is. Agree, disagree, add, take away, what you got? I completely agree, and I, I think you have to walk through that as a player, no matter where you're at. You know, uh, how are mechanics, what's going on, am I rushing... Am I moving too fast in my head? What's making my body go too fast? Am I trying to make a play that I possibly can't make? You start asking those questions. You start taking ownership. And you really start to understand yourself. And as a coach, I think you just have to step back and allow allow the players to make mistakes. One of the best coaches of all time, Coach Wooden, who won, I don't know, a billion national championships at UCLA, that that was his teaching method. He would allow his guys to make mistakes early on in the season and he would actually encourage it hey try to get outside yourself try to make that pass that you can't normally make try to make that shot you can't normally uh, make so that way as the season progresses you forget about failing about it you're just thinking about okay i gotta get better if i don't take this shot if i don't make that pass if i never try it i'm never gonna get better so he allowed them to fail to learn 
And I think that's one thing that, you know, no, whether it's a mechanical thing, whether it's an anxiety thing, or whether it's a yip throw thing, allowing that guy or that girl to just fail and understand it's okay, that is so important in this game because it is a game of failure. Whether you get the yips or not, everybody's got an issue in this game where they're failing more than they're succeeding. So let's try to make sure they understand that it's okay as a player and a coach should really push that in their program. Oh, that's perfect, man, because what that ultimately develops into is a player identity, right? And I think mm. that mm. what happens is when that's done the wrong way or a different way is the player begins to lose a bit of self-identity. But before we break that down real quick, I want to give an example of what I mean by subconscious anxiety so that people that listening understand. They're like, as I said, rational anxiety, subconscious, like, okay, what does that mean? So involuntary muscle tension is what this is, right? So when, when I would get, and, and for those of you that don't know, I, uh, you know, so I got to, I couldn't throw the ball 10 feet in front of me. I mean, I could hit anything other than what I was trying to throw at. And um, I have, I threw the NCAA Division I record for wild pitches in an inning, or in a game is seven. I threw six in two-thirds of an inning as a former closer who threw a lot of strikes and, uh, part of that was, uh, you know, Coach Pete left me in the game, and I'm not mad. I, I wanted to be. There wasn't a disagreement, and, and we were just going to see if I could throw through this and see if it would work itself out. So I was totally fine with it. And, you know, my catcher uh, and, and one of my best friends, Derek Phillips, comes out to the mound after, and I had thrown about 20 to the backstop. I, in, in reality, I shattered that record, but they stopped moving runners, so they weren't uh, recorded as official wild pitches. So he comes out to visit me on the mound and he says, Hey man, just relax, you know, take a deep breath and, and doing anything that he could to try to help me regain. But the thing was, I wasn't sweating bullets. I wasn't nervous. I was frustrated. I was pissed off. I was what, but I wasn't nervous. I, because I've already done this before. I had already gone in against a game in against uh, Lipscomb before and thrown the ball to the backstop a bunch of times. I just wanted to pitch like I know that I that I, I that I could, and I couldn't make it. I couldn't stop my wrist from seizing up in the release of the ball. But and that's what I told him as we looked out the center field, and I said, "Hey, bud, you know." I was like, "Honestly, man, I'm not nervous anymore. We're well beyond that. We're well beyond embarrassment." I was like, "I don't care about all that anymore. I used to. Like I said, it's a byproduct, right, of the problem." I said, "I just want to be able to throw again. I can't make my arm stop." From, from seizing up and he said well buddy you just keep on throwing them and I'll keep on going and getting them then you know and that's what that, <laughs> that's what we did and it yeah you know and if you know Derek and the way he says it and, and whatever is funny then you know I mean I almost hit the on deck batter it was bad but the point is was you know it wasn't like a sweating bullets I'm so nervous so when we're on the range shooting a gun if you've shot a gun you know with dry fire and I'll tell the person, don't flinch, don't move that gun at all, and they don't, and they do the mechanics properly. I'll take a magazine full of bullets and load the gun, so now that it goes boom in your hands when you pull the trigger, rationally, they know, keep everything straight. Don't anticipate that explosion in my hands. Just keep that sight aligned on target. But then they go to pull the trigger, and what happens? We have a little bit of flinch, a little bit of tension in our wrist or our elbow or our forearm to prepare for that explosion that's about to take place. 
That causes the sights to move subtly, but because a pistol is so short, that bullet goes way off exponentially. So, in comparison. So the same thing happens with a throw, in my opinion. For whatever reason, due to triggers that have occurred and some of those things and, and identity, like we'll talk about, the pitcher or catcher or whoever goes to throw the baseball, their subconscious mind registers a threat like the explosion taking place in the hands causes a little bit of tension. Not a lot, a little bit, but because throwing has so much dexterity involved, just that little bit of tension makes the throw look a lot worse than the tension is. You know, It makes it go 4, 5 feet, 10, 15, 20 feet off. And that's how I would give an example of subconscious anxiety versus rational anxiety. Would you have anything to add to that to help break down the differences between the two? No, I think you nailed it. I think... Understanding what your subconscious mind's doing opposed to what you're actually doing is is something that or actually feeling I guess I have to say because you're you're fighting a battle. It's like two little dudes in your head just fighting back and forth. Like, no, I'm okay. No, you're not okay. No, I'm okay. No, I'm blah 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 blah. <laughs> it's one of those things you just got to just let it run its course. Try to slow it down. Or, you know, there's times where we'll get into this. It's like sometimes you just got to speed it up. Make that baby move so fast he doesn't know what he's saying anymore. Yep. That way you get past it. So I, I think you nailed it on the head. Um, and you say you're not a psychologist. You sure sound like one at times. You're so intelligent. It's, it's really fun to hear you grow over the last couple of years and, you know, hear your terminology. The guy is one of the humble, most humble guys you'll meet, but he definitely knows his stuff. Well, I appreciate that, man, and and, uh, and back at you, you know, and breaking this down with you is, is how, how I've come up with a lot of it, and, um, you know, so we've been talking about, uh, you know, what it is, and I think we've got that nailed down, so what we're talking about here are making bad yipped throws, and these, these are not rational anxiety, this isn't due to mechanical or misjudgments, this is a subconscious anxiety that... Uh, causes involuntary muscle tension that the player cannot help once it has. So it's not like, hey, just stop, just stop doing that or relax or whatever <laughs> isn't going to work. And the more you throw through it, the more the results get worse, the more it snowballs and you feed, you're just feeding that trigger food. It's like, yes, this bad things happen when I try to throw and that thing becomes an animal. So let's talk about what causes it. And you started to break into it already with uh, letting the player play free, with allowing them to fail, things like that. So let's start, um, let's start breaking down into some of the causes, you know, and I think you're going to be a little bit better off at explaining that than myself, but I don't, my, my general theory here is this, is that I don't believe that the yips is caused by one single thing usually, or normally, or maybe ever. I think it's a a soup it's a pot and it has lots of ingredients that go in there and you kind of make this perfect storm and then it and then it manifests itself and then on top of that coaches don't let you talk about it or admit that you have it which makes it worse and then we feed those triggers as we try to throw through it next thing you know it's a mess and I'm not saying that's what happened to me I had a lot of good coaches that tried to help me you know and did the best that they could so as I talk through these I don't want people putting uh names or faces to things, those who know my background. Everyone that tried to help me through this uh, did everything they knew how to do to help me. Uh, this is just through reflection and whatever and, and helping others get through it. But uh, you started to break into identity. So for me, 
I think it was McCutcheon said I, I when we were hanging out one day in the range or whatever. I can't remember exactly. It may have been you or Garrett or I, one of you guys said, "What I do doesn't define who I am. Who I am defines what I do." And I was like, "Man, <laughs> if somebody had said that to me my junior year in baseball, <laughs> you know, I might have I might have had a little longer career because baseball defined me." And that was mistake number one. What I mean by defined me was. It's okay to love the game, to I mean, make it so much a part of your life or whatever, but here was the problem. I was dependent on the game itself for my own sense of self-worth. Add into that pot of soup, I was dependent on the affirmation from certain people in my life as well, and add that into the soup, right? And so, anyways... Um, what do you have to add to that as far as identity? You were talking about, you know, allowing the player to fail and, and things like that. What else do you have to add to that? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to talk a little bit about what you just said first is you use the terminology as understand your why, why yeah. are you doing this? Why do you need to do this? And that can create more anxiety at times for guys that are having an issue with, with the yips. You know, I, I'm going to give a little background of why I have a really good identity with this. I played through everything. Um, I was a guy that tore his labor and I played through it. I was a guy that had a, uh, a, a small fracture in my thumb or something going on. I tore nerves in my hand where I couldn't feel the baseball. So I was always trying to adapt, always trying to learn different ways to be able to just make it through the game. And all this stuff I never told my coaches. I just played. I, I wanted to be on the field. I felt like I was doing a disservice if I wasn't on the field. So especially later on in my career when, you know, I got to play every three to four days as a backup, I was playing. Unless I had a gunshot wound and I was laying on, laying on a bed, I, I was literally going to be in that, in that lineup and playing some way, shape, or form because I love to be out there. I still do, even though I'm retired. So that's kind of where this all started for me. I don't know if I've ever told you that, Ken. I just want to make sure that kind of got out there. Yeah. Um, and then, but going back to the reason why, that, that creates a lot of anxiety sometimes for guys, especially if the reason why is money or it's providing for their family or it's to be the coolest kid in school, whatever it is. You got to find something bigger than that. And for me and you, it is our, it is our walk in faith. It is what, you know, we, we really put our piggyback on. And when things like this happen, people forget about that. They yeah. forget that they have something so much bigger that they can rely on a God that loves us so much that he doesn't care if we hit the mascot, two fans, and the kid in the on-deck circle. Oh, yeah, and by the way, I hit the three kids that were right next to the coach in the dugout. He doesn't <laughs> care. He's forgiven us already. And I think having that, that, that anxiety taken away of, like, we've already been forgiven for all the mistakes that we just made or haven't even made yeah. is, is really something that can change the kid's Baseball career and life. But going back to the identity side of it is I watched so many guys slowly fall into this anxiety, into this performance pit, into this uh, yip uh, phase of their career. And it all started, like you said, it's not, it's not one thing, but you can see it kind of starting. Maybe it's from their childhood. Maybe it's the way that, a coach treated them. They felt like they had to be perfect all the time, and they had to hit. And I've heard, oh, i got to hit him in the chest. Got to hit him in the chest. They make a good throw, but it's just a little high. Hey, got to hit him in the chest. 
Well, then that kid, all he's thinking about, the only good throw he makes is if he hits him in the chest, where nowadays they're talking if you miss three to four feet up the line as a catcher, you're making a better throw than if you just throw it on the back. Right. There's always something new. There's always growth in this game, and you just got to wait and allow a kid to make his own adjustments. If he makes a good throw, maybe it's not a great throw, sometimes you need to praise that kid. If you know who that kid is, you know his personality, you know his upbringing, sometimes he just needs a little bit of love. So going back to identity, I can go down a rabbit trail with this because I'm so passionate about it. I've seen guys lose their career over it. I've also seen guys come back from it. And it's been fun to be a part of it with you, Coon. But with identity, every player needs an identity. They don't need to tie themselves to a routine. Most guys that have a routine and that's what they end all be all is, they, they get lost in that and that becomes their identity. So when that routine changes, it creates an anxiety. When that anxiety comes, that's when bad things start to happen. So you have to be able to let go of certain things and have to understand why you do those things. So if it does change in an instant and you know better than anybody what that is like from your past, but you have to be able to adapt and overcome and do different things. If a coach tells you to do one thing and you don't like it, you have to be able to explain that to your catcher if you're a pitcher, explain that to your pitcher if you're a catcher. Right. Say, all right, well, hey, we don't have a choice here. He's the coach. He's going to tell you to do this, but we got to find a way that it's going to work for you so it doesn't create an anxiety and we don't fall into this huge pit of anxiety that turns into the yip. So creating an identity for yourself, understanding yourself, taking true ownership of who you are, no matter what coach is around, no matter what teammate is around, but understanding yourself, it gives you freedom. I don't care who you are, what walk of life you're, you're from. If you start to take ownership in your career, you don't trust the coach and put everything you have in him. Oh, you need to yep. hit with your elbow high. You need to hit with your uh, feet straight. You need to have a little bit bend in your knees. Why? Start asking those questions and start answering those questions. So that way when things start to happen, you have checkpoints. You can go back and say, oh, my feet aren't right. My knees aren't right. My elbow is not right. Wait, why am I even doing that? The coach is the one that told me that. Have an identity in who you are, what type of player you are, why you're doing the certain things you're doing, because when everything goes bad, you're not swinging good, you're throwing the ball over the first baseman's head, you're throwing the ball to the backstop as a pitcher. Why? It all starts with mechanics. And you've got to understand those to go to the next phase is, oh, maybe this performance anxiety. But most of the time it comes from one trigger, one instant from a past of just a soup full of stuff, like you just said, Coon, that made that one trigger just explode in your mind and create that subconscious thought that's saying, you can't throw a strike, you can't throw it to that person, you can't hit a broadside of a guard, if you fell out of a boat, you couldn't hit water. And that's when it gets really bad. And that's when you have to fight from the trenches to get back. Oh, absolutely, man. And I think it all plays into identity altogether. So, you know, the thing you said there that I love, and I, I was actually, <laughs> the words are, so you said, you know, take ownership of who you are. And yes, there are, I, I like how you put that too, how there's there's a lot of things in the soup, but then there's one, you know, thing. So I can think of, there were, there were two things in my personal life going on uh, that I was struggling with. There was a minor injury there was um an eye surgery that didn't go as well as it should have and then so that's all my soup right and then there was a Mm -hmm. a wheel play at third that 
I, I wasn't it wasn't a yip throw. It was just a misjudged mechanical one of those weird in between throws for pitchers when they're throwing as hard as they can and then have to throw it, you know, fifty two feet. And I hit the guy in the ankles, run scored. Um and there were some uh, some consequences for that as well that you know that that came down on me pretty hard. And then one other throw that I remember as well that actually weren't pitching. Uh, it, they were throws in the field, and those two I can remember. They're, I can see them play out in my mind, which is how I know they're you know I, I've got emotional attachment to them. But as far as the throwing went, so people understand the progression, the the, the day before or the the outing before I in in inner squads. I struck out. I only threw one inning. I threw the. I, I struck out the first two on six pitches, and then I had an 0 and two count on the third batter. I throw nothing but fastballs. I throw a slider, and he hits a ground ball back to me. Throw it to first. Innings over. Okay, so that's where I was at. And then the next day, I went out, and I wasn't missing the catcher. I just couldn't throw it in the strike zone. I walked the bases loaded after an outing just like that. After after that outing, I just I, I came out. I can't find the strike zone. I walk in a run, and then we just called it for the day. It's like, hey, just enough's enough for today, right? Then I was playing catch, a ball sails over the guy's head. And then that's when the snowball, and it goes, you know, whatever, and things like that. But a lot of great stuff in there. And But I think it all ties back to, back to identity. And one of the things I ask people if I work with them on the yips is I say, whether it's baseball or whatever, I, I ask corporate people this, too, about their job. I say, who are you without what you do? All right, and and until you can answer that, then you know you've got to be able to. Ask, I want to know three things: who are you, without what you do? You know, what character traits do you value? Because, like you said, with the yips and the things, where you gain your self worth. There's going to be easy times. There's going to be hard times, and everything in between in life. But your legacy, we all have a need for significance. You know, and 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 we all have a need for affirmation in our lives. That's that's why we like to go do and accomplish and, and do stuff. But the, our legacy is built in our response to these difficult times, you know, not, not that we don't have them or anything like that. And that's where when I, when, when I was broken down, I was I couldn't sleep, like literally couldn't sleep. I would drink just so I could go to sleep and pray and sometimes both. And every I mean, I was I was in a mess. And the. Um, you know, it, it really started to wear me down, but I started thinking, you know, I'm going to look back at this time at some point in my life, and if I quit, because it was embarrassing, dude. I go out there and, you know, <laughs> it was like the war gongs at, uh, was it New Mexico State with that metal wall? You know, the gong, gong. Oh, I just kept gong, hitting it. Oh, yeah. yeah, dude. I mean, people from the other side of the field were coming over to look, but I, I knew that if I quit, I would look back and wonder if it would have come back just as soon as it came upon me and I would never know. And I thought, you know what? The only way I'm going to be able to live with myself is if I play this thing out until it's over. So I did, and it didn't work out But uh, as far as baseball goes. But without the failure, without the yips, having, I would have never gained the self-awareness and, and the lessons that I learned and the motivation to graduate Buds and Hell Week. And, you know, and that's the thing is, is, is how these all play out. But getting back to... You know, back into identity is a lot of times we don't know who we are without what we do. And I think that's the key. And just keeping things in perspective. A person told me this once. I never thought about it a couple weeks ago. I think another part was I was uh, I was recruited originally as a utility player. And then I went my first two years at Tech and was a, was a, was a PO, a pitcher only. And I didn't like that. I felt like I had lost half of my game. 
you know, I really liked hitting and playing the outfield. And, um, so I think, and, and I never put that in the pile of soup before until someone told me a couple weeks ago and they said, you know, part of this started when I wasn't allowed to call my own pitches anymore, when it was dictated to me from the dugout. Now, I'm not saying that pitching coaches or whatever should, should or should not call pitches as, as far as baseball strategy goes, but I never thought about that being a part of the equation because he felt like he had lost part of his identity and became more robotic, just like you were talking about routine, by not having the ability to shake. What do you think about that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add to that. I'm also going to say not just not having the ability to call your game, but also knowing you and knowing your personality, that's where it's all going to stem from, is they took something away from you. They took the ability to be athletic away from you. So instead of being able to take a ground ball and throw it across the diamond, really no thought at all there because it's a quick quick thing. You're trying to get the ball in your hand and let it go. And usually when you move really fast, the yips just seem to disappear a lot of times because you don't have time to think. So I think the ability to be athletic and to make a throw across the diamond or from the outfield or hit and just let some of that anxiety go. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's just the ability to see, ah, oh, there's a good baseball. It's an anxiety ball that's been just beating me in the head. And you just get to whack away at it or just face someone and see, oh, man, my stuff is so much better than these guys. What am I thinking? Because sometimes you forget. You forget how good you really are, and then you try to be perfect, and then being by trying to be perfect, it's just making everything worse. But by seeing something and, and actually making it real, sometimes that's all you need. So I think not just not having the ability to call your own game, I think it, it, it's, it stems also from losing your identity as an athlete and as a player, being able to play two different positions. So you put all that anxiety, all that stress into one subgroup, and that's the PO. And when you did that, you were carrying something you didn't need to carry. You didn't have to carry. And that's why, as a coach or as a player, if you like taking ground balls and you're the Friday night guy, go take ground balls. If you like throwing from the outfield, and I would suggest this for every single coach in America, Make your pitchers go take infield outfield from the outfield. Make them be athletic. You know, Oregon State does this. There's a lot of teams that are starting to adapt to this. Make your catcher go out and take ground balls and move around so they just remember what it's like to be a kid in the backfields, just taking ground balls with their dad, throwing it across the diamond, pretending they're Derek Jeter or, or yeah. whoever it may be, because that's what you need. You need to remember this is a game and it's fun. But I do think that that has a little bit of what happened to you, Kuhn? Yeah, I agree, and we could break that down in a lot of depth and detail, and, and we do sometimes when we, when we work with players. Uh, both Michael and myself have worked with players um, on this, and there's a lot of different directions we can go. Some of that stuff, I think, needs to stay a little bit private, but I want everyone to know this. As we look at cause and effect and different things happen, I place the blame on what happened solely on myself. And like you said, I should have taken a little bit more ownership in who I was and things like that. You're a young man trying to figure some things out and whatever. But yes, I agree. You know, and, and there is a cause and effect and things like that. And um, and that's what we're trying to identify uh, to to help others. And yeah, uh, um, that that definitely you know was part of the part of the equation, part of the part of our pot of soup that created the perfect storm. To you know, eventually you take a pretty mentally tough person and they can't find the the zone anymore because. 
I also, I was the type of pitcher, you know, I was a relief pitcher, uh, closer style, would close games sometimes, uh, but just threw in relief a lot, and I loved, and when I say that, I don't, I don't mean it like um, a, a bragatory way or whatever, I really did like coming in with the bases loaded or, or runners on base, it was fun, because I was playing a fun game, and I loved that role, and that was my identity at the time was, was that guy who could come in and throw hard strikes um, in those situations. And I loved it. And I loved being there. I, I enjoyed it. I truly found joy in it. And then it just completely, you know, so you go from that to not being able to throw a ball 10 feet in front of you. And we've talked, so we've talked through what it is. We've talked through some of the causes. And again, it's an in-depth thing that Michael and I could really break down in a whole lot of different, different ways. And, and we're happy to do so. Um, but for the sake of time, let's move into recovery. How do we recover from the yips? Now, what you're about to hear from both myself and Michael, you've probably never heard anywhere else, or at least in the way we're going to say it, because, you know, I tried hypnosis. <laughs> I, tried, uh, I tried throwing through it, meathead style. Um, I tried everything that I could do to beat this, and nothing worked, um, and I could throw now. And I've helped others throw. Yes, you can. <laughs> yes, you can. I appreciate it. I need about five to six more miles an hour to get, in the, to get a chance. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> not, not too bad. Um, the uh, Let's see. So recovery. I'm going to break down the system I came up with called ironing it out, and then I'm going to ask your opinion on it. And then I want you to go through some of the things you've talked about, especially the redirect. I really liked that. And um, retracting the arm and uh, some of the other things that we've talked about in the past. So with, uh, with recovering from the yips, the first thing I do is I talk to a player and I want to release the pressure valve. Then I want to give them hope and then a plan and then execute the plan. So I want to get their mind off of the past get some acceptance, I am an alcoholic, <laughs> and then I plan to beat it, and then that way they're focused forward with excitement, with what they're going to accomplish, and they're relieving themselves of the guilt, the shame, embarrassment. In my opinion, the yips needs to be treated just as if you pulled a hamstring. You just pulled it in your brain, or Tommy John surgery, or whatever, so we just have to recover from it. Now, I disagree wholeheartedly, and maybe if they can prove me wrong, then prove me wrong, but I haven't seen it yet. And everyone I've talked to that have gone to it so far have told me that it didn't work. But these quick overnight fixes offered by some prominent sports psychologists for like $8 million an hour. I'm just joking. It's usually about $500 an hour. Uh, to, And I charge high prices. I get whatever. Okay, but they promise an overnight fix and then it doesn't work. And to me, it's almost false advertisement unless you got some case studies or something like that. I don't know. But anyways, I, I've never seen it happen live in person but whatever. What I call it is, let's, let's start a recovery process. So I want to release pressure valve. How do I do that? I say there's nothing wrong with you. Your brain has basically pulled a hamstring in the same way, overusing or using in the wrong way or not training your leg properly in the weight room. There's a cause and effect to why you pull the hamstring. Same thing. Your mind is responding to circumstances and you've pulled a muscle in your head. There's a switch, a wire crossed and a switched cross that you can't have, you can't help having. So if you think of mind, body, and soul, and there's a line running through those that keep us, that keep it straight, you know, you've got a, you've got a kink in that system. There's a, there's a wrinkle in it, and we've got to iron that thing back out with a nice, hot, steamy iron. 
So the next th the thing, as I say, is I became a Navy SEAL with the yips. So this has nothing to do with mental toughness. All right, I w we were, and I again, not bragatory, just, just, there's 135 men started my class. We got through Hell Week with 20. I was, I was fortunate and blessed, one, to have had the yips, so I, I learned from it. <laughs> I was able to get through Hell Week, but, um, so it took a tremendous amount of mental toughness to get through that, yet I still had the yips, or had it just within the year, and probably wasn't fully recovered at that point. So this has nothing to do with mental toughness. It's a subconscious problem, right? And that's what I tell people. I became a Navy SEAL with the yips, so don't be embarrassed. There's nothing wrong with you, all right? That helps release the pressure valve. Then I just say, hey, you know what? Then we start talking about self-worth, and that's where I say, who are you without the game? And we start, I want you to find your self-worth and your value and how you approach this problem and what you live every day and in who you are. And that's how you're going to leave your legacy. But don't find so much of your self-worth in the game itself. Um, things like that, right? So we, we release the pressure. We give hope and then a plan. And I start talking through the plan, which can include some of the ideas you've put forth um, and everything else. But what I say is when I'm talking about self-worth is I say value baseball. Value your game and whatever, but don't be dependent on it. I think there's a difference there. And then we just execute the plan. So ironing out, it's real simple, all right? So I, I basically took the same approach that I would take uh, with shooting. With Remember when I was talking at the beginning uh, with, the, with shooting a pistol on the range and how people understand that they shouldn't flinch or tense, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but they do. So I thought, okay, well, how do they beat that? Well, what we were taught to do is the same thing competition shooters do. They shoot dry fire. 70% more, I've heard, than they shoot live fire to train their brain that when they squeeze that trigger and that process takes place, that there is no explosion so that their hands don't start to move. So I took that same theory. And I, took, I, I take guys and we go to wherever they're completely and 100% comfortable and we throw over and over and over again. Now, for me at one point, and for some, that might have been standing in front of an ocean with a bucket of balls and <laughs> trying to hit the water, right? <laughs> but, uh, um, the, uh, but what happens is the hand seizes up and it sails up and up, up and, uh, you know, towards the arm side, or you hook it. You wrap around it and you hook it and it goes low and around to the, uh, uh, to the to the glove side when you go to throw. And it's, it's funny because it's the same thing with bullets. You push with your palm, the palm go the bu the bullet goes up and out, or you squeeze down with your other finger, and the bullet goes low into the left. So I just make comparisons with all of this. So we bring it back in, and basically we're dry firing. And I tell the player count the stitches on the seam. Why? Because now their focus is on the snap and release of the baseball. That's the only place where this process gets interrupted. It's not in separation. It's not even later on in follow-through. It's not in your step. It's in the snap and release and that, that dexterity you need to whip that thing through the target. Not at the target, through the target. So that's what we do. Count the seams. That places focus on the snap and, the, and release and then um, whether they understand that or not, I don't care. But I just want their focus there. They snap and they throw through my glove, not at it, through it. And then we do that 
as many times as we need to do it, and we're just rewarding that feeling over and over and over and over again. Then we back up to the danger zone, which could be different for different people. It doesn't make it could be 10 feet, 15 feet, 20 feet. It might not be any feet. It might be just turning the guy around to where now he's throwing into the outfield without a barrier behind him, like the fence or whatever those little triggers are, right? And those who have had the yips know what I'm talking about. Simple, simple things can feel like a mountain to the person experiencing it. But we get to that danger zone. And then we do, that's where I bring in one of the things you told me and you told me to talk to the anxiety. Do you remember uh, talking about that with me on the range? I do. I do. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, so we talk to the anxiety. And I say, and I don't even like, so, and sometimes I say, because I try to eliminate the word anxiety because, you know, it, it is a subconscious anxiety, but I want the player to, you know, and I say, we're going to talk to the tension because that's what it is. You can, you can, you can rename it. I, I, I tell guys to name it. Yeah. Because then it becomes real. It's like, you know, you have a kid and you call it kid, right? No, you, you name it. You, you name it. it. His name is Steven. His name is Michael. Like, name him. Talk to him. Wear him out. Go ahead. It's, Keep going. I love no, that. no, it's perfect. It's Exactly. And so, and I'll tell him, the thing is, too, is you can create connection because you, if you've had it or if you've dealt with a lot of players with it, and because I'll, like, I'll stand there next to the player and I'll say, I know, I say, I know exactly what you're feeling right now. You're not nervous, and that frustrates you because everybody thinks you're nervous, but you're feeling attention well inside of you right now, and you know that this throw is going to go bad, and there's nothing you can do about it to stop it, right? And they're like, yes. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So here's what we're going to do. I said, what I want you to do is I completely, when I walk back to the line over there, you throw the ball to me, I 100% expect you to throw this baseball bad, and I don't care. I expect that's what's going to happen. I said, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to talk to the tension and say, I know you're trying to help me, but I trust freedom. And I think those were your words. And what, um, you know, the, the, the way I like to think about it is you can't be completely unfocused to execute action. For me to throw a baseball to somewhere, I have to say, I want to throw the baseball to over there. Otherwise, I could throw the baseball anywhere. So there has to be some focus, but that focus has crossed the line. If you think of it like a speedometer and it's redlining and it's trying to help you, but it's crossed an unhealthy line now and it's not helping you. So you just tell it to calm down a little bit and you say, hey, Michael or Bob or whatever we've named it, right? And you say, hey, I know you're trying to help me right now, but I trust freedom. And then I say, with as much freedom as you can gain, whatever that is, it may not be much, it may be a whole lot. I don't expect you to be completely free yet, but with whatever you can gain, I want you to throw that baseball to me, and I, what, I, what I want you to do is still get a good snap and release. Even if it goes 16 feet over there or 25 feet over my head, get the best, most dexterous snap and release through the target that you can get. Completely focused. Count those seams again. And then they throw. And it's usually you know, uncatchable. And I'll say, good. Now what we want to do is stop the snowball the wrong way and start it the right way. And then we just do it again. Deep breath, let that one go. Find that freedom. Let's make it a little bit better. Just a little bit. Just snap through. Just snap through, right? And if we have to scoot back up, we scoot back up. Whatever. But then we do it again. Well, that one, now I stab at it and it's catchable or it's off the tip of my glove. Then all of a sudden, they're wild, but I'm catching it. And then you know what happens? Boom, there's one to the chest. And you know what happens after that? There's two more to the chest. You know what happens after that? Then they can play catch the rest of the game. And I've told people before, like, this may just be how you have to warm up. Like you said, just own it. Who cares? Spread people. They won't be laughing when you're 
hosing them down on the mound or whatever. And over the course of time, you'll retrain your brain. But you have to retrain your subconscious part of your brain to understand that when your complete dexterity, looseness, and follow through with that snap and release, that that is a good positive outcome and not the bad one. The trigger is a liar. It's a liar. And that's what we have to, but, but your brain, you know, doesn't believe that yet. So we just retrain it. And that's what I call ironing it out. So we just start close and we just dry fire. And that's what I'm saying. If, if it starts to snowball the wrong way and they feel like, can't we just bring it back in? We just bring it back in and we bring it back out. From there, we start to reintroduce the threat. And I can't remember who, if that was you or me or who that was, but we, where we start putting, okay, now we'll bring somebody else out to watch, right? Or if it's a catcher who can't throw it to the pitcher, now we put a third baseman in and then a shortstop. And then we put uniforms on, whatever it is. But anyways, what do you have to add or take away from the ironing out? And then I'm going to pretty much give this over to you and let you go through some of those other things uh, that I've mentioned and, and other methods you have. Well, first, first, I want to go all the way back talking about sports psychologists, how expensive they are, some of the theories and thoughts they have. If you're listening to this podcast and you go see a sports psychologist, I think it's a great thing. I think it's a huge benefit in this game. I think you can get better from it. But if you have the yips and you go to a sports psychologist and they don't have a glove and a baseball, you need to run as far and as fast as you can away. Amen. Because like Coop said, this isn't an issue just within your brain. It's connecting your subconscious mind to your fingertips. And if you don't understand what it's like to throw a baseball – and throw it 15 feet off to the left, 15 feet off to the right in front of three or 4,000 people. And in my case, if I, if I had this issue in a game, it would have been in front of 40,000 people. So if they don't understand that, how can they tell you how to throw a baseball? They can tell you how to think. They can tell you how to use your brain. They can tell you how to slow the game down. But ironing it out, if you're not going to get out there, and I love, I love, I love, the whole range idea. If you're not going to get out and dry fire and take some real shots, which in, in baseball terms is, you know, maybe you do a mirror drill. Maybe it's a shadow drill. Maybe it's doing it without a baseball at times. Whatever it is, that dry fire is so important in that ability to iron it out outside of an <coughs> office in a chair where it's uncomfortable anyways. I do think that's important. I do think the middle game is one of the most misunderstood and uh, things in baseball, I think people should spend more time on it because if you are mentally strong, it's just going to make you a better player in the long run. Like you said a minute ago, it, it it's not going to keep you away from the yips. You're you're a Navy SEAL with the yips, but once you picked up a gun, you're a long you're, you're able to shoot long range, short range. You're, you're able to do a lot of things once you became a Navy SEAL. Which I guarantee, you, if you walked from that mound with the yips and you went into shooting, it probably would have been in your shooting too. So that mental capacity and that mental understanding, that mental strength played dividends for you in the long run and made you an even better person. You learned a lot through this. In our last podcast, we talked about, you know, adversity is an opportunity. And this is just another opportunity to understand your mechanics better, understand who you are better, take ownership better, and really dive into the next stage of your career. So if you can, and it's very hard to look at it this way, look at it as an opportunity to take that next step into being the best player, the best person, the best friend, the best husband, whatever it may be, that's what you're getting an opportunity to do through this. That's what ironing it out is. Because once you get through it, you're an oddity. 
People don't think it's possible. Coaches write you off. Oh, he, he doesn't have it anymore. He can't even throw it back to the pitcher. Or he can't even throw a strike. That's not true. If you want it bad enough and you're willing to do things that are outside the box, like we're going to talk about in just a second, it, it's going to work because it is like a recovery. I love the whole hamstring idea. It's a, it's a torn hamstring in your brain. But people don't take it like that. They think it's, oh, he's weak. He can't do this, can't do that. Well, if you're going to do a rehab, which I had a bunch of surgeries throughout my career, I didn't just take the trainer's word for it. He had a protocol. He had a thought. But listen, two of my surgeries when I had them, I got designated for assignment, which means I got let go by my major league club, yep. and they said, see you later, good luck. So my rehab is, is based on someone I don't know very well. The club gave them a protocol that, eh, does it really matter to them anymore because I'm not with them. So what right. I did is I got online. I called everybody I knew that had either done a rehab or was a doctor that I could talk to and ask their opinion. And then I would constantly push back. Hey, in this protocol, they're already in the water running. I know I can't wait there yet, but they're, they're in the water running. Why am I not in the water running? So that way I felt like I had more control. That was for me being able to iron it out by taking more control, having better understanding. And to be honest, I have a patent because of this. I just finished up a patent for my knee through this process. What a blessing that was. Right. Yeah, I lost, I lost an opportunity to be in the big leagues. I, I, it probably hindered my career trying to get back the next year after both knee surgeries I had. It's just part of it, though, but it's made me who I am. So that ironing it out, that, that diving in, really just kind of taking this by the throat and running with it is so important to start this process and to take you into places you have no idea are coming. Oh, man. I mean, exactly. And so there's cause and effect of things, right? Like, I wish I had taken more ownership of myself and my career uh, during that time, and, and then that way I would have probably prevented this from happening. That being said... I was who I was with the experiences I had and the moments that I was. It became what it was. And in my room, my dorm room, broken one night, I, like I said, I wasn't sleeping. And, um, and, and I don't mean that in like a cliche term. I mean, I really was not sleeping very much. And I, 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 I prayed just for hell. Like, God, I can't sleep, man. Like, I don't, like you know, I mean, I, there, there's tears coming to my eyes just talking about it right now. I'll be honest with you, thinking back and, and being in that moment right there in Nick's Hall, and, and I remember praying as hard as I, and I just remember the words came across, said, something better is coming for you, right? So I don't necessarily, uh, you know, there, there is cause and effect to things, and I do, but I do believe the adversities we go through, you know, God always provides us with the means to overcome and grow and whatever, and I had peace at that point. I still couldn't throw properly, but I had peace, and learning through that experience is what ultimately made me who I was, and that's how we learn as human beings. Like, you're as you're a younger man or woman or whatever and growing up as a person, you're not going to have all the answers right away. You're going to make those mistakes like I did and, and things. And then you're going to go. And, and like you said, you took ownership. So one thing I'm really careful of, too, just in today's generation. I love kids today, too, by the way. I know everybody gives them a hard time, but they just have to be taught differently. And then when they do, they buy in, you know. Amen. And, uh, Amen. It's, uh, you know, it, so. But um, if you allow them to, we are quick to say, you know, if I say, hey, don't place too much stock into what coach tells you or whatever, what I, what, what, what I, what we mean by that is, one, 
be 100% respectful of your coach and what they're trying to do. Also under, understand that they are human beings who make mistakes just like everyone else does, who are doing the best that they can in the position they are in with the experiences that they've had. So your career ultimately rests on you. So I'm not saying defy people or anything like that, but do your homework and then present things if you need to in a, uh, in a respectful, proper manner, but take ultimately take ownership of your own career. Don't be, you know, like somebody said to me, if you don't believe in yourself, why should anybody else? Like you can't be constantly <laughs> going around and seeking out the approval of others because all that's going to go into your pot of soup that could eventually cause this thing. So I just kind of want to make that distinction. It's not like we're saying, hey, give the finger to everybody who's trying to tell you to do something. At the same time, don't be so reliant on everyone and everything to give you all the answers. Like go out, figure out who you are and do your thing, you know, the way you know how to do it. Um, I want to, I want to jump in on that because something someone told me once, because I, I am naturally a people pleaser. I want to help people at all costs, sometimes to my demise. And somebody told me this once and it really, really helped shape who I was as a player is even when you least expect it, if you're looking for something, you're probably going to get something. And what I mean by that is if you hit a ball in the gap and you look at your coach, he may have not seen your swing, but he's going to give you something because lo- you're looking at him like you need something. Right. If you're looking for an affirmation, good or bad, you're going to get an affirmation, good or bad. So what I was told and what a guy told me that was older than me at the time, I was in Dominican Republic. He said, if you don't, <laughs> how did he put it? He said, if you don't want to know, don't know. And something <laughs> right. like, like something like crazy. And I said, what do you mean? He's like, if you don't want to know their opinion, then don't want to know their opinion with your eyes. Now he was like, Whoa. And he's like, if it's not your eyes, don't want to know their opinion with your ears. And I was like, that's awesome. I never thought about it like that. Like I, I I'm trying to get justification and see if I'm doing it the way that they expect me to do it to the standards they expect. Well, I haven't even made my own standards. I hadn't met my own expectations. I was looking for those. And that's the worst thing you can do. Cause you can't control anybody else but yourself. Correct. So I just uh, I had to throw that out there because you know, like if you don't want someone's opinion, don't look for it. If you don't want someone's affirmation, don't look for it. Don't try to hear it. Don't be that little like little guy on the on the rail trying to hear what coach says because you're not confident in yourself. Go find what you have to do to find that confidence in yourself. And you won't need that affirmation. You won't need that justification from the players or the coach that you're there with. Exactly. So youngsters and oldsters. When you're checking your Twitter today to see how many followers you have and you feel like you're a failure because you lost a couple or didn't get as many as the other guy or Instagram or whatever, you know what I mean? I mean, it's just there's so much more opportunity for this out there. And I feel like that's why, you know, a lot of this is more prevalent than uh, than maybe in the past. But you're, you're exactly right. I even have written on my board right now. I mean, as I said, the top says worry is a liar, you know, and my legacy is left in who I am, what I live every day, given the circumstances that I have. If if it's uh, one of my best buddies who's a platoon chief in the SEAL teams, he says, man, if I can control it, then I master it. And if I can't control it, then it's just white noise, brother. White noise and motivation. That's all it is. <laughs> you know? Amen. And, Amen. Uh, but um, let's get into some of your recovery methods here uh, that we have discussed in the past. 
rip through whatever you want to rip through. I love the redirect and the stories and stuff that go with that. Um, I think that, you know, whatever, but, uh, but hit it, man. What do you, what do you got? I know you've talked, uh, redirect. You've talked about retraining the arm. You've talked about a few different things, but, but send it. Yeah, you got it. So I think it all going to start with what you're talking about Coon, is just sitting down and talking to this player and understanding who they are. Where did they come from? Understand the past. The person that is dealing with this just needs someone to care. They need someone to listen to them and, and make sure that like they don't feel like they're out on the island in the middle of the ocean by themselves. Yeah, hang That's on right there. Hang on right there. I hate to interrupt you. Yeah. I just want to put an amen no, 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 to that. Good, good. And then also imagine, like you said, a sports psychologist. Imagine going into a sports psychologist saying, I know how to write my own name, but watch me try to do it. And it all comes out of scribble. And then being people like, well, just relax, man, and take a deep breath and then uh, slow it down and then try it again. And then you write scribble, okay? And imagine how lost and lonely and embarrassing that feels. Okay, so hit it. <laughs> no, I love it. And that's where this is going to get weird for all the listeners because this is going to be stuff that has been trial and error. It's not, hey, breathe through your eyelids, you know, wiggle your toes and scratch your head before you throw. Not that any of that stuff isn't good. It, it is a way to redirect, which I'll get to to a second, but I do think it starts with empathy. I do think it starts with playing catch with the guy and understanding who they are. But sometimes you have to do a lot of stuff to get to that catch play. So when we talked, Jason, we've talked about a thousand different things. I think before you even pick up a baseball, they need to understand what their arm pattern is. So what I mean by that is if you don't know what a plyo ball is, they're weighted sand filled balls and if you want to get online you can see routines you can see different things but i think the biggest thing is is allowing people to find that feel again when you get this problem you lose feel in your hand like you said you feel like you either push the ball or you jerk the ball at the last second and you feel like that baseball isn't even in your hand it almost feels like a whistle ball yeah is what i've been told and that's kind of what it feels like when you have no feeling in your hand, which I've dealt with in a game and I had to get through it. it happened a lot. Actually, as I played throughout my career, I hated balls getting by me. So I would try to just stop it with my hand if it was too far away. And if I got hit in the hand at any given point in the uh, game, my hand would stay numb for most of the game because most of the nerves in my hand are shot. With that being said, I had to figure out a way to get through that. So I used the word redirect with Jason. And it's something that I did when I played in front of 30, 40,000 people is I had to find a way. I had no choice. You know, that's the one thing I'll say about, about, the, about the yips. It's a process to get better. It is a rehab, and you have to take one step at a time. But you also need to understand, once you get past it, once you're able to play catch, once you get past the anxieties of getting back on the mound or getting back behind the plate or in the field, wherever you are, how are you, gonna, how are you going to overcome it in the middle of the game when it comes back? Because – to sit here and think it's never going to come back because you beat it once, you're, you're just going crazy in your mind. You need to understand that it's probably going to come back, and that's where the redirect comes in. But I'm going to go all the way back to the plyo balls. The plyo balls allow you to feel something heavier in your hand that doesn't feel like a baseball. So when you let it go, you feel it coming out of your hands. You can do this with a football. You can do this with a softball. I would suggest to do it with all of them. Throw anything that is not a baseball before you pick up a baseball. Understand what your arm's doing, how it's moving. Okay, this ball is lighter. I threw it 
I threw it straight down. Why did that happen? Oh, my release isn't as good. I'm not releasing out front. Let me pick up the heavier one and feel that again. Now, guarantee you, hand one of these guys or one of these girls a heavier uh, plyo ball. Even if you just want to play catch, you don't have a brick wall to throw these things against. I guarantee you they'll start hitting you in the chest. Because they're like, oh, you know, in your mind, you're like, oh, it's not a baseball. You know, I'm just, just trying to fill this out. It, it's incredible. It's never not worked. I've had some guys throw it over my head. I've had some guys miss. But the cool part is I never, ever have more than one ball. And I think Tim's the same way because he'll run and get it every single time. And the reason why you do that is for that person, they see you running and get it over and over again, and you're not stopping, you're not quitting, and you do it for six hours, just like Derek said to you, hey, I'll just keep running back to the backstop and get it. It's right up that person's mind. It allows them to understand it's okay to make a mistake. And by not having a bucket balls, a bucket of balls next to them, they realize they actually believe in me. They believe that I can actually do this because you're not putting a bucket of balls there saying you're going to miss this many times, so we need a bucket of balls there because I, I don't have enough love for you to go chase this baseball over and over again all day. So, plyo balls, different size balls, uh, football, whatever it may be, you can also use implements. Put a band around their waist. Put a weight on their on their ankle to feel that foot land because a lot of these guys that are going through this problem, they're landing and throwing at the same time, so they're actually just not allowing time to happen, so their hand isn't getting out front, allowing them to actually spin the baseball out front. So make them feel it. It changes and redirects their thought pattern. That's where redirect comes in. So you start redirecting where their thoughts are. You make them focus on different parts of their body understanding what they're doing and what their body's doing. You can take off their shoes. They can throw a bullpen in turfs. Oh, <laughs> God forbid they throw a bullpen in turf. Just let them continue to grow and feel and do different things. Get super creative. One thing that is incredible for guys with the yips is throw uphill. So they have to land early. They have to get over. They have no choice. When they throw against the uphill, like, I, the slope can be as high as you want. They're going to have to do something different. They're going to have to feel something different to make that work. Right. So you keep adapting. You keep overcoming different situations. You're putting these kids through. And it's also not the same crap over and over and over again. Because it's not just him getting behind the plate or him on the mound throwing strikes. It's just throwing a baseball again. Like you said, you go into an office, you write your name, and you scribble it. You know how to do it, but you can't do it. So... With that being said, you know, I'm super passionate about this. I'm getting fired up now. Yeah. When it comes to redirect, you're in the game. It starts to come. For me, I get hit in the hand. I can't feel my hand. I can think about my hand. I can worry about my hand, or I can find a way. So what I would do is I didn't give my, my brain enough time to process. So I'd catch the ball. The ball would never touch my hand, never, until I was ready to throw it back. And I'd put it in my hand, and I'd throw almost – as I'm putting it in my hand. And then when I would throw to second base and I couldn't feel my hand, I would miss low. I'd already accepted I have to miss low. So sometimes I'd hit the back of the mound. But okay. I'd miss low. I threw a guy, a guy out and hit almost hit the rosin bag, guys. Uh-huh. So if you miss low and you trust your infield, they have a chance. If you miss high, you have a problem. But I'm allowing myself, before I even throw a baseball, 
to accept something that's not perfect. Right. That helped me a ton. Something else, I hit a guy in the chest one time in AAA. I used to throw the ball back as hard as I possibly could. And I used to have a really good arm before I tore my labor in and played through it. I hit a guy in the chest. We lost the game. Was it my fault? No, he wasn't looking at me. But right. it played in my head. I could not throw a ball back to the pitcher until he was looking at me. So I would pump. And there's so many guys, so many professional guys deal with this. So what I did, instead of worrying about him, eventually I just started looking at his chest. I'd never look at his eyes. If he wasn't looking, it was his problem. I would just right. throw it straight through his chest, and it helped. And if, yeah. if that anxiety creeped in, I would stand up, I'd walk a step or two, take a deep breath, and throw it back. Right? I just always trying to do something and redirect my mind in a, to a different place. And some things I've done with a pitcher, and then I'll, I'll let you go back at this, Jason. I'll, no, I'll share all, my, all of our secrets, but redirecting as a pitcher. So as a catcher, it's my job to figure out how to make this guy sit and to get up there and, and allow him to continue to throw balls to the backstop is, is a disservice. So what I would do as a catcher is I would spread out. I would give them as big a base as I possibly could. Nobody on base, who cares? I'm getting as wide as I can and I am blocking anything that they throw. If I possibly can, if I have to die for it, I'll die for it. But I'm going to show that guy on the mound that I'm going to live and die by every pitch that he throws, no matter what the given situation is, no matter where we're at in the ball game. I got to make this work. Right. And then I ask him, I'm like, all right, man, these next couple of fastballs, instead of throwing your four seamer, turn the ball a quarter inch to the left. That doesn't work. Turn it to the right. Right. Hey, throw, throw your slider grip fastball so throw a fastball but hold your slider grip or maybe you got to just throw 80 change-ups that game to get him through it but that's what's going to make this guy get to the next level right maybe you call a pitch away and you set up in knowing right this guy's constantly yanking the ball so i'm going to give him a bigger window on this side he's not going to see you he's so worried about throwing a strike but what you're doing is you're di- redirecting his focus and he doesn't even know it <laughs> right. And by doing that, it, it, it's helping him do some things that he may not be able to do. And one thing for all the coaches out there, all the players out there, understand what they can throw. Most of the time when guys get this problem, they still have a pitch they can throw for strikes. It's usually a breaking pitch. And the reason is, that's a feel pitch. They can feel the ball again. Maybe it's a changeup. And throw it more. Throw it more than their fastball. Forget about the fastball for the game. I was in Colorado with a guy. He lost his feel for a fastball. He's one of my closest friends. You know who I'm talking about. Not yeah. mentioning any names. And he ended up getting the yips down the road. But during this game, he did not have the yips. He had a mechanical issue. He had a problem. He had no feel for his fastball. And he didn't trust it. He lost trust. So we threw 80 change-ups out of 110 pitches. <laughs> his change-up was his fourth-best pitch. And we won the baseball game against the San Francisco Giants. And a couple guys that I know contacted me after the game of the Giants said, where did that sinker come from? They thought it was a sinker anyways. Right. A guy that was throwing a four-seam fastball his whole life and threw as, as hard as possible, they thought he was throwing an 88 to 90-mile-an-hour sinker, and they didn't know what to do with it. And he got more ground outs than he'd ever gotten in his career. Right. 
So just adapting and adjusting to what the day is giving you, what your brain is giving you, that's what you have to do. And sometimes it may be a pickoff move. Sometimes it just may be the catcher giving or coach giving a hold and step off to slow the game down. Sometimes catchers throw the ball back as easy as possible to slow them down. Understanding their personality, understanding what they need is so important because at the end of the day, when you're behind the plate as a catcher, you don't matter. You're the umpire. You're the offensive lineman. Nobody knows you exist until something bad happens. So make sure you're loving that guy with just incredible empathy and help him get through whatever he's dealing with. And then after the game, take him to dinner. Talk to him. Love on him. Whatever you got to do, that's what you have to do. If you redirect all these bad focuses, bad anxieties to things that could be positive. And it's not going to work every time, and there's no perfect fix for these things because every human being is individualized. And that's why you have to try different weights, different size balls, different feels, different scenarios, whatever it may be. And we've done so many different things, Jason. You know that. And it's understanding that human being. If you understand that, you can take that next step. Man, you're you're perfectly. I mean, you're 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 right on spot, and that's what I. I guess that's what I'm trying to sum up in. Um, you know, because I don't want people thinking I'm. I you know, I some a couple of my best buddies are, are sports psychologists, and and some of them are awesome, awesome dudes, and um and and people. And what I'm saying is like when you see that one one that cure all one fix overnight thing and whatever. You know, like you said, it's just this is so dynamic. There's so many things, and and um. And then the empathy, I think, is huge because it feels very lonely. And I know, um, you know, back when I went through, uh, when I had the yips, the internet was barely around. You know, this was back in 2001. I mean, it was around, but it wasn't like it is today with apps and YouTube and every other guru that you can go find stuff out about and whatever. In fact, I had never heard of the yips until about five years after playing baseball. The the term yips, um, it was explained to me as uh, performance anxiety and which made me even feel worse about myself because I'm like, here I am. I'm supposed to be a mentally tough closer, and I'm I'm so anxious I can't throw, and that's how I thought it was, you know, until I started figuring this stuff out later. But it's incredibly lonely. So um, awesome, man, on on that part. And then another thing you hit on that I want to talk about real quick is you said focusing on another pitch can sometimes kind of redirect and work things out. I never even thought about that. You know, I went straight back to the fastball, snowballed in the wrong way. You know that fork ball that I throw sometimes? It's a completely different motion, and I stay behind the ball instead of get extension and really yank through it. It's just a weird, weird kind of awkward thing. And, you know, maybe I, sh- I don't know what would have happened, but now that you say that, I feel excited. Like, yeah, man, maybe that would have worked. You know, I want to go back in time and, like, <laughs> try that, you know, throw some, chunk some of those in there and see if it just would have, because it's a completely different um, feeling and motion, even though the, the arm slot's the same. Um, the I call it expanding the error box. I forget what you called it. That's one thing that I so everything that I do is in conjunction with the ironing it out. So when I exp- say expand, mm-hmm. when you said I gave myself permission to not hit him in the chest or make you know throw it a little more errant than normal, whatever I forget your exact words. What I'll do in the ironing it out is when we move back to that danger zone, as I say, instead of. You know, because what I always felt like I was trying to throw at this really small target. And I, you know, what's funny is when it all fell apart is when I was, I had the best control I'd ever had in my life. And then I almost, it's almost like I became too fine, you know, and then 
I felt like I was throwing at this small thing instead of through the glove. So what I'll tell them is, I don't even want you really to throw through the glove. I know I said that earlier, um, but what I really tell them is, depending on the person, is I want you to imagine, you know, what's catchable, about five feet to the left, five feet to the right, depending on distance, and then five feet overhead, and then, you know, a one hopper. So I want you to imagine a circle five feet up, left, right, and in front of the person, and I just want you to get a good snap and release through that circle. That's it. That's all. That's success, right? For now. And um, so I think that's um, that's really huge as well. And then one thing I wanted to ask you about that I think you had told me this story. I can't remember exactly how it goes, but there was a pitcher maybe in the minors or the big leagues or at some point, and you told them to throw it into the backstop. Like basically you had them throw <laughs> into the yeah. fear itself and then they didn't need to anymore. Can you tell that story? Yeah, so – a lot of times when you're facing anxiety or you're facing a fear, you never face it. You, you try to hide it. You try to work work through it instead of facing it. So if you're a guy that, hey, I have a hard time throwing strikes, it, it's one of those things like I, I, I was just thinking one day I had a guy who was really, really, really amped up. He probably had way too much pre-workout before he came in the game, and he couldn't even come close to me in warm-ups. So I went up to him. I threw, <laughs> I threw the ball down. I, I, I go to the mound like I, I, I love to do, and I said, hey, this first pitch, I want you to try to throw it over the backstop. And he just looked at me like, huh? And I'm like, no, seriously, I want you to throw it over the backstop because I could see him grinding his gears and trying to make it work in warm-ups. And there's more ways to do this, Coon, and I'll, I'll explain a couple other things I've done. But I literally said, throw it over the backstop. So he – Rear back, first pitch, guys up, and we almost got in a, in a brawl with this, but he <laughs> threw it at the top of the backstop. And I kid you not, the, the dugout started chirping. The guy was, you know, holding his bat like a meathead, yelling at him. And he had a one, two, three inning. It, it, it gave him a redirect or a refocus on those guys. They kind of started to piss him off. And instead of having that, nervous energy he, he turned it into emotional energy that he could use yeah so there's something he had excess of he had something now that he could use and redirect to get an out and it works really well for him there's other guys say guys out there and and this is even opposed to the yips even if he doesn't have the yips he just does not feel that day he doesn't have feel for his breaking ball tell him to throw it in the dirt seven times in warm-ups over exaggerate things for guys the guy is missing you know glove side over and over again or arm side over and over again go another batter's box give them a huge huge adjustment there's a guy i was playing catch with one time and i had four years in the big leagues just later on in my career he was a younger guy he could not throw a ball near me first three balls went over my head uh, way to the right. So what I did is it was raining a little bit. I went onto the tarp at least 10 feet to the right. I was like, hey, man, I'm going to stay here until, until we get this right. And I just kept going further and further until he started hammering me right in the middle of the chest. Yeah. I mean, he was on the mound, and I was on the tarp at third base. So he was literally throwing – as awkward as he ever has, but what I was trying to do is, is make him do a huge adjustment, a huge feel adjustment. So when I go back, he feels that extension, he feels the ball coming off his fingertips, 
but I'm not just beating a dead horse by staying right in the middle. Sometimes it's going deeper. Sometimes it's going closer. You just got to fiddle around with that guy. And a lot of times it has to do with their, you know, their biomechanics, their, their body makeup. But at the end of the day, it's, they want to know, do you care? Or do you yeah. trust them? Because they don't want to feel like a failure. Man, I, I, I agree. And it's been so long now, but I do remember that now. And, um, it's, it's, you're exactly right. I mean, when you have just that, that one person or two, or, hey, man, if it could be the whole team, but that's where I think the tabooness of the yips needs to be come off. And, and both as the player itself who has it needs to accept that they have it to recover from it. I think kind of, and I'm kind of speaking, you know, as I'm, I'm thinking and speaking as I go here, but I almost think like the game itself needs some acceptance of it too, in order to create proper, because what do we do? We just shove them away, hide them and get rid of them because it's not conducive to our team. Well, I get that. But at the same time, like if the if the game itself became more acceptance of hey this is a reality that causes us to lose millions of dollars of investments in kids sometimes that are coming up to the league and if we want to stop that then you know one thing is to be like admit that it's real you know? and then right. and then and then start you know because that that acceptance of it is going to take so much pressure off the very beginnings of ever having getting it and in preventative manners uh, from a guy that's had it um, I think that anyways, that, um, that would, that would be, you know, that approach would have helped me from the beginning. The, um, well, there was one other thing I was going to ask you about. Oh, you talked about over-exaggeration. So again, as it's, as it all stems from ironing it out and I put things in or out as it comes or goes is I might have a player sometimes, uh, what did you say with over You were talking about, um, you know, over-exaggerating certain things. I'll have them sometimes, you know, I said it might be just throwing into an ocean. Well, to get that dexterity, sometimes I'll have them, you know, make that uh, that thumping noise, see if it'll come through that, like you're packing a can oh, of yeah. dip, you know? And oh, yeah. oh, if, if, they don't know, if they don't know how to pack a can of dip, I'll show them how, but you get that super, 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 super looseness, and then we'll take the baseball, and we just spike it into the ground. And just spike it into the ground and spike it into the ground, like right at our feet. But we're just getting that snap back, and I'll do it with them. I'm like, hey, you know what? Let's do it together, you know. And uh, we'll throw, we'll snap back and in, in back into the ground. If uh, if they dip, I might have one with them. I'm not telling people to dip or whatever things like that. But what I'm doing, I'm creating connection, and emotional attachment to the player, acceptance with the player. I'm connecting with them, doing things they do, they like to do, and we're just snapping that ball into the ground over and over again. And I'm doing it with them so they don't feel silly, whatever. And then we're just getting that dexterity back, ironing it out, right? Um, so with that, we'll probably start to wrap it up here. We're about an hour 15 or so. And um, with that, we'll do a quick review uh, of what we've talked through here. So the first thing, we're talking about making a bad throw, but yips occurs in many different sports. Well, first thing we want to do, do in a, in a two-minute synopsis here is we want to identify what's causing that bad throw. Am I nervous? I got nervous and I made a bad throw. That is not the yips, okay? Uh, mechanical or misjudgment. I threw across my body, I opened up too quick, my foot hit the front part of the mound, I fell in a hole, a uh, bird hit me while I was trying to throw, things like that. Interrupt our <laughs> our ability to, to um, mechanically throw the baseball properly. I just lost focus, whatever, okay? Uh, the third one, and what the yips is, is a subconscious anxiety. Understanding that you should not be nervous, but you cannot help your body from creating involuntary tension as you go to release the ball. In golf, it's right in the middle of the shot as you make contact, I believe, and in volleyball, setters get it, and they start catching instead of uh, setting it properly, although I'm not as familiar with that. So identify it. If you have the yips, admit that you have it, 
uh, so that you can recover from it. Remember that you're not mentally weak. A Navy SEAL has had the yips. Big League Baseball players have had the yips. They've also recovered from them. So release the pressure. Look forward. Create a plan and execute that plan. I just put my plan out there. Michael just went through his plans and the various things that he does. Combine them together. Take away. But the biggest point is take ownership of what you're doing and make your plan, execute your plan, recover from this thing. Understand it will probably take some time, in my opinion. I don't believe there's an overnight fix. Start rehabbing yourself. Get back together and, um, and you'll be good to go. Uh, one of the things we talked about was valuing affirmation and what you do versus being dependent on it. Uh, your legacy will be left in who you are in hard times and how you respond to them, leading others through them, whatever, you know. I remember the podcast with Brett Carroll. We're going to do another one soon. Um, when we were talking just briefly on this, and he said, you know what, though? You never quit. You know, I never, I, and it just, it meant a lot to me to hear that from somebody that many years later, and that's what he remembered about it. You know, he didn't, he didn't remember this or that or the other things. Yeah, and um, so, so that's an example. As you go through these hard times, people are going to remember when you're put in the grave who you were in these difficult times. So keep that in mind and find your value in that. Um, ironing it out, I won't go back through all of that, but basically was making the same comparison to a dry fire. There will be a book and online training videos coming out on that eventually. Um, if you try to steal my idea because you're listening to this, I'm putting this out for free to help others because I get these questions a lot and I don't have time to work with each individual person because my primary source is team building and leadership. So if you steal my idea, I will find you and hunt you down. And um, other than that, I hope people get a lot of benefit from uh, these ideas that were put forth from both myself and Michael McHenry, Major League Baseball catcher, who has a tremendous amount of experience uh, with this. Like I said, there's so much more to break into, but it's, it would take us all day. So with that, Michael, what do you have to add to that in a, in a summary? I would say in a summary is understand your player, understand how you can help them, and if you don't know, ask. Ask those questions. Oh, and be able to identify with them. You know, I think, you know, we, we talked about ownership, and I'm going to leave it with that, is allow them to have it. Don't tell them what they need to do. Ask them what they think they should do. Or what do you feel during this throw? How does that make you feel? What is your arm doing? Or what is your arm telling you? Just ask them questions. So they have to answer it so they can identify with it and so they can overcome it. Because it doesn't matter about the person who doesn't have it. It matters about the person that does. Man, that's perfect. Tell everybody uh, where they can find you to follow you. And uh, I know you put out content quite a bit on social media about um, you know lots of things as it relates to baseball, the mental game, and, and as well as mechanically. I mean, you put out stuff about hitting and stuff that's just phenomenal. So where can people follow you? <laughs> I appreciate that. At the Fort McHenry, I'm on Instagram and I'm on Twitter. I just started really getting into Instagram. And if you have questions on this or you have questions on any other podcast me and Jason have done, just ask. I try to uh, make sure to answer every question that I get on um, Twitter and on Instagram. So seriously, just ask any question. I'll help you as much as I can. And if we can help you in any way, shape, or form, we would be happy to. We're very passionate about this because we don't like people to feel like they're in a, a dark hole in the middle of nowhere. We want to make sure that they see some light and they see some light from some people that really care about them.
Yeah, and this can be beat, guys. If you're listening to it, I mean, if you, I know what I've, I mean, I would have downloaded anything I could. If you're listening to it, look forward, not back. You can beat this. There is purpose to it. Get yourself a plan. Start executing that plan. Believe in yourself. If you want more, follow me at Stonewall Solutions is the website, uh, stonewall-solutions.com. On Twitter, I have a personal page. It's Jason Kuhn, 255. I also have a, uh, our business pages is at SEAL Team Build or search for Stonewall Solutions. Instagram, same thing, Stonewall underscore Solutions and Jason Kuhn 255, also on LinkedIn and Facebook. And I hope everybody has a wonderful day, and uh, we'll keep working on this until the yips is no more. Everybody have a good day. Thank you. Uh-huh.